Welcome to the Reimagined Church Podcast with Pastor Robert Tanner. You can listen weekly on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you prefer to listen to podcasting. You can learn more about Reimagined Church by visiting us online at reimaginedpeople.com or by downloading our app for your Apple and Android devices. Now, let's join the service for this week's message. All right, so here we go. Uh, I, want, I want to get into this. Uh, last time, I, I gave this message, I looked earlier today, I gave this message nine months ago. And after I gave it, I decided, you know what, I need to build on this. So for the next 10 weeks, I'm going to keep drilling some things home. I'm not going to say the same things over and over again, but the theme of what we're talking about is, is going to be consistent because I think it's so important for all of us. Um, so we're in this series, Who Am I? And we're living in a day in a culture where a lot of people are asking that, and a lot of people don't know some of the basics about who they are. And I realized as I was studying for this that, you know, is, is, is your pastor, and if you're, if you're visiting, I realize that I'm not your pastor, but today I am. Let's just say it that way. For those of you who are regular attenders, uh, the most important thing I'll ever do is not to show you what to do, but it's going to be to show you who to be, not what to do but who to be. And outside of the gospel message itself, and then after we're done with this series, we go through that set free series that we've been talking about. Again, I did that about three years ago. I think this is probably perhaps the most important, uh, impactful revelation that I can probably actually ever share with you throughout this series. But set free is gonna be just as important for you as well. So we've got this, this seven months of building on top of each other. So this whole season is gonna be answering, who am I? I was sharing with a, a group of ladies here. By the way, doesn't the church look great? Some ladies were here yesterday decorating. And um, I was sharing with them. I, I did something I haven't done in a while. I, I, yesterday, I actually read the book of Galatians all the way through. And uh, from, you know, it's, it's only, you know, six chapters, but so it only took a few minutes to do it. But what I, what I was reminded of as I was reading it is, that, hey, we're not so different from the people who lived back at the time that Paul wrote Galatians to the Galatians. Because what happened is these people, they had all these, you, you had people that were, were um, they were called Judaizers, they'd come out of Judaism and they became Christians. But they were expecting uh, the Gentile Christians to start obeying all the rules and regulations that they had. So they were kind of losing the focus that we were saved by grace and it's about keeping all the rules. And by doing so, they were actually putting people in bondage. And, and here, here's the parallel today. I've realized that for a long time, the church has done the same thing. We've, done, we've been, spent, been really good about telling people all the things that they shouldn't do and hardly ever telling them the things that they can do. We, we, the church at large has just become this, this taskmaster of don't, 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 don't. Keep this rule. Do this thing. And do these things. And some of the things they're telling you to do are good just as long as you realize it's not by keeping that rule or by doing that that you're going to get saved or that God's going to be more happy with you or anything like that. It's all about doing. So we really haven't changed very much. And that's what I want us to get out of the habit of seeing ourselves that way of that, you know, I got to behave. I got to toe the line. 
I've got to hang on by my fingernails. I've got to grit my teeth. I've got to you know, just fight my way through this thing so that someday when I die, I can go to heaven. And, and, and that's, that, that's great. That's an eternal reward. But what about this life? Why is it that walking as a Christian should be something that people just loathe? And many people have left the church for, and quite frankly, the younger generation doesn't want anything to do with it because of what they've seen. Well, it's because of how the church has behaved. And I think we've gotten off track with it. Who remembers COVID-19? <laughs> Nobody remembers COVID-19. Okay. Listen, COVID-19 hurt hurt us really, really bad. And and, and as I shared this the first time a few months ago, uh, uh, some of us, maybe you were in this room right now and you got really sick or maybe you had loved ones that died. So I don't want to minimize what COVID-19 was at all. But but I do want to say this. It's not the worst the world has ever seen. The bubonic plague killed 20 million people. It, It killed one out of every three people in Europe. And for years, they thought it was due to rats getting into the food supply. Well, as recently as four or five years ago, they actually found out it wasn't rats at all. It was actually fleas. And what happened was these fleas would jump on somebody and give what appeared to be a relatively insignificant bite, and they might not even know it, but they were infecting people, and then these fleas would jump off of them and onto somebody else, and it just continued to spread. And one of the things I think that we deal with is rejection. As a matter of fact, I don't think there's a whole lot of teaching and preaching out there on rejection. I know I haven't heard a lot of it. But what I'm trying to tell you is rejection is the flea that bites us and infects us. And then it jumps on the next person next to us and infects them as well. So what happens is we start to live like orphans. And again, there's not a lot of teaching out there, but you need to remember... This is probably one of the greatest weapons that the enemy ever uses against us. This this idea of rejection, we've been rejected because he's a a liar and a deceiver. Here's the thing about deception. It's deceptive. You you don't know it. You you don't realize you've been bitten by that and you carry it. And you wind up spreading it to other people around you. So rejection is probably the greatest weapon that the enemy ever uses in our lives. And again, it's that flea. You don't know it most of the time when it's happened unless you learn to watch for it. But I want to read something to you out of Hebrews 12, verse 15. It says, listen, listen to this. It says, looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble. And by this, many have become defiled. See, when we let that, that seed of rejection grow in us, it winds up turning into a, a, a tree, if you will, and it spreads in every area of our life. But what happens is when most of us wind up experiencing direct, uh, uh, rejection is what we wind up doing is we, we wind up pushing it deep down into our souls and kind of ignore it and say, well, it, was, it didn't happen or it didn't hurt that much, and it does, and it, it continues to build on. So that's what we don't want to do. We don't, when we experience rejection, we don't want to push it down. We want to recognize it for what it is so that it doesn't wind up becoming something that winds up destroying us. But there's all kinds of rejection out there. You have mother wounds. You have father wounds. You have church wounds. A lot of people have been hurt in church. 
That's why I made that comment earlier about church not being fun and that's a church down the street. I wasn't trying to be derogatory about churches down the street. I'm just trying to acknowledge the fact I've been in churches that quite frankly when I left, I was like, there's no way I'd ever go back there. And many people have been hurt in the church. It's one of the places that we don't realize. And again, it's, it's, it's because we're in it, so we, you, know, you and I might have grace for it because we were raised in it and we've come to recognize that hurt people are in church. There's no better place for them to be because Hopefully that's where they're going to get healed, but unfortunately a lot of people don't. They just wind up getting you know, abused even more. But here's some other places that you're going to experience rejection. How about social media? Boy, talk about rejection. You ever, you, have you ever posted something on Facebook that you thought was epic and nobody liked it? Yeah. You ever had that happen to you? How about send a text to a friend where you poured out your, your deepest emotion and heart about where you are and what's going on, and they didn't respond? Rejection. That's rejection. How many of you ever worked for a company or know somebody worked for a company for 20, 30 years and all of a sudden got a pink slip? Feel a bit rejected? I give 30 years to this company. There's a lot of ways we experience rejection that we just think is part of life, and it is. It happens part of life, but we don't realize is the route that it takes and what it actually does to us. But all forms of rejection, there's all forms of rejection, but the core of our being, God created us to want to belong. And that's the reason why rejection hurts so much. As a matter of fact, you might not realize this, but the Bible tells us we are actually born rejected of God. Huh? God rejects us? Yeah. You're born rejected because you were born into sin. But because of Jesus Christ and his atoning work on the cross, you've now been accepted. He's made a path for you of full acceptance. And we're going to read some scripture on that. But we've all been rejected at some point because we're born that way and then we experience it from each other. There's this, uh, this father one time walks up to his, his five-year-old son and he, he says to him, he goes, son, he goes, you know what? If, if I got all the five-year-olds in the world, all the five-year-old boys together, you know, I'd, still, I'd still pick you. I'd still pick you. And he asks his son, would you still pick me? And the son goes, um, I think I'd probably have to meet all the other dads first. You think maybe he, dad was a little bit feeling a little rejected at that point? All right, here's, here's, the, here's the thing that the, what the dad was really doing. The dad was really asking his son, hey, how am I doing as a dad? That's what, that's what was really behind it. Now, I don't know about you, but I've never asked, I've never had my kids, any one of them say, huh, dad, how am I doing as a son or a daughter? Have you ever had your kids ask you that? They probably came up and said, um, <clears throat> hey, can I have 20 bucks? You've probably heard that a lot, right? So that's the question I really want to answer today as I get into this first point. And I think each one of us need to learn to ask as well. How are we doing as sons and daughters? How are we doing as sons and daughters? Now, I probably need to tell you this as well because a lot of people, I hear people say this all the time, well, we're all God's children. No, we're not. No, we are not. We're all God's creation, but if you want to read the book of John, you're going to find that Jesus says only those who have accepted him have the right to be called the sons and daughters of God. We're all his creation. 
but only those who accept the atoning work what Jesus Christ did on the cross are sons and daughters. And many of us who are sons and daughters are not living like sons and daughters. We're living like orphans. We're living like orphans. And this is what needs to be corrected. So here's the very first point, the orphan heart. The orphan heart. John 14 This is the NIV version, starting at verses 15, we're in 15 through 18. If you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as what? Orphans. I will come to you. I'm telling you, I think Jesus very carefully chose that word. And I think he chose it because he knew that you and I were gonna struggle with this. We're gonna struggle in this area. And he's saying one of your biggest temptations is gonna feel like and therefore act like orphans. And you're not. You're sons and daughters your sons and daughters. Paul says it this way in Romans chapter eight, verses 14 through 16. And by the way, again, this is out of the Passion Translation. I love this translation because it's so powerful in the way it words things. The mature children of God are those, now let me stop right there. In the Greek, that phrase, the mature children of God are those, it literally means those and only those. Only these who are moved by the impulses of the Holy Spirit. Here's what he's saying. The mature, children of children, the mature children of God are not people who respond to everything based on how they feel and how they think, but what the Holy Spirit is speaking to them. So we learn to hear his voice. That's the reason why we prayed for the baptism of the Holy Spirit just now with Devin. We're asking to say, Lord, Lord, Devin has given you all of him. And we're asking you, and we believe that you will, you'll be faithful to to teach him how to hear your voice and to respond to it versus responding out of what he thinks or how he feels, which is what most of us do. And you did not receive the spirit of religious duty. I talked about that a minute ago in Galatians. Keep the rules, keep the rules leading you back into the fear of never being good enough. Has anybody in this room ever felt like you weren't good enough? All the stinking time, right? But you have received the spirit of full acceptance, enfolding you into the family of God, and read this with me, and you will never feel orphaned. For as he raises us up within us, our spirits join him in saying the words of tender affection, beloved father. Now, some of your translations, if you read this later on, it says Abba, Father. For the Holy Spirit makes God's fatherhood real to us as he whispers into our innermost being, you are God's beloved child. Here's what he's saying. A key way of knowing that you become a mature child of God is that you never feel like an orphan. Orphans aren't gonna feel that way because they understand who they are. By the way, an orphan is not a lost soul. These are people who are eternally saved. These are people who are gonna go to heaven. But they struggle. They struggle 
to experience what it's like to actually live as as a son or a daughter. They haven't learned how to walk this out because they're too busy keeping rules and looking for acceptance. Living life as a spiritual orphan is going to wind up limiting you in your life with Christ. This is the reason why this is so important. We get this. This is the reason why this first message of the series is focusing on this again. Because as we get into the second point here in just a minute, you're going to find it, and I think you're all going to realize, every one of you are going to sit there and say, yep, I've done that. Yep, I've thought that. Yep, I've responded this way. And you're going to realize that while you're a son or a daughter, you aren't living it out. You're, you're living more like an orphan. And it's keeping you from receiving everything that Jesus has for you. So what's an orphan? Well, quite simply, it doesn't go without explanation because some people say, well, somebody lost a parent. Actually, the real definition is it's somebody who's lost both parents. They've lost both parents. It can, in some cases, represent we've lost one, but you've lost both parents. The, um, The Greek word for this is arphanus. It's one that we, that's what we're going to read the Bible. It literally means somebody who's comfortless, those with no teacher, no guide, no guardian. Well, if you've received Jesus as your Lord and Savior and he's given you the Holy Spirit, how can you possibly say that? Because you've been given a comforter, you've been given a guide. So you're not an orphan. So again, why do so many people in the church struggle this? Why, why, do, we, why do we live this way? Why have we been so conditioned to this? So let me give you some ideas of what an orphan does. An orphan is anyone that's looking for a home. In other words, they're looking for a place to belong. It's that longing for belonging. It's a longing for belonging. I need an affirmation of some sort somehow, even if it's through a social media post. And they do it over and over and over again. An orphan is someone who's experienced extreme rejection. And I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but if you're breathing in this room right now, I guarantee at some point you've experienced some extreme rejection. Maybe a home, in the church, the workplace, friendships. An orphan feels that they have to perform in order to gain attention or acceptance. Think about this. Imagine being in an orphanage and you find out that there's a young couple coming in and the guy running the orphanage comes up to you and says, hey, uh, there's some people that are coming today and they're gonna meet you. And if you'll, um, if, if you'll dress nice, if you'll put the right clothes on, if, if, if you'll... Style your hair right. If, if you'll behave, don't, don't act naughty. Keep the rules. And, and you're sweet. They just might, they just might like you and take you home. Most of us live with that orphan mentality. If I dress right, if I say the right things... If I'm nice, I'm going to be accepted. We do it in the workplace. We do it right here as we walk into church on Sunday mornings. We do it when we go to the mall. Hello? 
or it's called being worried about your image. What are you projecting? I'm going to give you something. Hopefully, some of you are writing some stuff down, but here, and I'll say it twice for those of you who are. Spiritual orphans are always looking for security, affirmation, love, acceptance, value, purpose, and significance. And here's why because they feel that they've never received it from their Heavenly Father. Think about the prodigal sons. You remember the one that stayed home? Do you remember what he said when the younger brother came back? When the prodigal came back? You never slaughtered the fatted pig for me. You never, what he's saying is you never drew attention to me. You never, you never gave me something like that. You know what the father's response was? A pig, if you want a pig, go get one. They're right there. And I think there's sometimes that the Holy Spirit, God the Father is trying to say something to us as sons and daughters. He's like, if you want something from me, you have everything that I have. You have access to it. If you want it, go get it. It's right there. I know it's probably a little quiet in this room right now because I imagine some of you are probably thinking right about, now. Nah, yeah, I think I've thought that or I've done that a little bit. Or you certainly know the person, somebody who has, don't look at the person next to you. You know that they have. They've said something along these lines. But if you look closely, you're gonna see the orphan heart in a lot of people in the scripture. And I'm gonna give you a list right here. But I want you to think about this because you may have never thought about this before. The devil... Satan was the very first orphan. Think about this. He's the worship leader in heaven. That's a pretty good gig, wouldn't you say? Yes? But he steals something that doesn't belong to him, and that's some of God's glory. And as a result, it gets him kicked out of heaven, along with a third of the angels. He knows what it feels like to be orphaned. And I'm trying to tell you, he spends your entire life trying to get you to feel the pain he feels. Amen. That's the reason why rejection is so important to him. He wants you to suffer the way he's had to suffer. Because you are the image of God. And he can't attack God. So the only thing he's going to do is attack you, the image. That's the only thing he can do. Here's another one, Elijah. If you don't know the story of Elijah, I'm gonna shorten it for you. He's rejected by this girl named Jezebel. Most of you probably, if you're not part of the church, you've heard the name Jezebel and you just associate with, yeah, that's not who I wanna take home to mom and dad. But he's feeling rejected by Jezebel. So he runs in isolation and what does he do? He says this, he goes, but I'm the only one. How many of you ever heard somebody say, or even said it, don't raise your hand, you'll embarrass yourself. But every single person in this room, I guarantee at some point you've thought, I'm the only one this has ever happened to. Lie of the enemy. And that's an orphan heart. But it's a lie because you're not the only one it's ever happened to. You just feel isolated at the moment because you ran and hid instead of running to the Father. Here's another one for you. Aaron, 
Remember Aaron? Moses goes up the mountain. The people are getting frustrated. Moses hasn't come back. They decide they're gonna build gods. So they throw all this stuff into the fire. And this is kind of funny. This is where I say, I think there's humor in the Bible. Moses comes down the mountain and he sees these, these golden calves and Aaron goes, uh, we just threw, the, threw it in the fire and out popped the calves. That's kind of funny. I'm, I imagine Moses probably looked at him and go, do you think I'm stupid? What do you mean out popped the calves when you threw the metal in the fire? But here's the thing with Aaron. He was afraid of rejection from the people and he was looking for full acceptance from them. So he gave them what they wanted. I know a lot of pastors who are giving people what they want to hear and not what they need to hear because they're afraid of rejection. They're afraid of losing their incomes or their influence because they have an orphan heart themselves and they depend upon the pulpit, the platform to give them the influence they so desperately want. It sneaks in there real easy. Joseph's brothers, remember Joseph, the coat of many colors? Here's some brothers that were feeling rejected by their father. So their orphan hearts, what do they do? They operate in jealousy and insecurity. And when people operate in jealousy and insecurity, here's one thing that they have a hard time doing, and that is celebrating the wins for other people. They can't rejoice for other people when they get something that's nice or a promotion, or they get attention. They'll share with you something that they think others should really know about this person. The disciples, arguing over who gets to sit next to Jesus in heaven. Again, they're looking for acceptance. They're looking for security. They're looking for a significance. Now, I'm gonna share this one with Moses. I think Moses probably had the deepest orphaned heart of anybody. Probably because he actually was an orphan. Remember, they put him in a basket, you know, down the Nile, right? So he, he actually was an orphan. He had an orphan heart. Here's, I'll give you five examples. Here's objection number one when God tells him, I want to send you back. He says, who am I to do this? I'm not the one. So he's expressing self-doubt and insecurity. I know there's a lot of people in churches that won't even serve at all because they're like, well, I'm not the one. I can't do that. Listen to me. God does not call the qualified. He qualifies the called. And you're all called. If you have a relationship with the Lord, you've been called and he set his sights on you while you were in your mother's womb for something he wanted you to accomplish. But many of us, many of us choose to live as orphans because we won't accept who we really are. Here's his second objection. Who am I representing? Listen, he wasn't concerned about their response to God. He was concerned about their response to him. Orphan heart. It's an orphan heart. Orphans are always looking out for themselves, by the way, because they can never be sure that anybody else is looking out for them. These are the people that you know that you'll hear this phrase, they're always looking out for number one. Well, yeah, they're, they're orphaned. They have an orphan heart. They think they have to do that. Here's, here's Moses' third objection, what he said to God. What if they won't accept me? Again, a fear of rejection. An orphan is always obsessed with what other people think about them. And they will solicit it. You know, when I first became a pastor, and first started serving in ministry, this is one of the areas I noticed that an orphan heart was showing up with me. Because I would mask it, I would ask a question, and I masked it with, I need the feedback 
because I'm trying to perfect my craft. I want to just get better at what I'm doing. And there could have been a degree of truth to that. I imagine maybe there probably was because I'm a learner by nature, but I know, I know part of it. What it's really saying is, am I good enough? If I was pastoring a church, would you come and sit down and listen to me? I needed the affirmation so I could feel comfortable. Don't, don't, don't answer right now. You can ask my wife later on, okay? But ask her if I've ever asked her those questions. And she probably saw other areas of my life where I was doing the same thing. Here's number, here's this fourth objection. I, I'm not competent. I, I'm incapable. I'm unqualified. I, I stutter. That was his, his fourth one. He was looking for self-reliance. doesn't matter if you're qualified. Jesus told the disciples not to worry about what they were going to say when they had to give an account. He would speak through them. And of course, we read this marvelous story in the book of Acts where Stephen, the first martyr, gives a tremendous response to a question that he's asked. And we see it other places throughout the New Testament as well. Here's a fifth objection. Please send anyone else. Passivity. Passivity is part of an orphan heart as well. If I can't do it, then I, don't, I can't blame it on somebody else if, it goes some, if something goes wrong. They're looking for a way to be able to point the finger somewhere else because they can't handle the attention being on them. Orphan hearts run through all of us. Uh, Bible characters uh, 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 that I just read to you, all these. Listen, I see these things in myself. I'm gonna read to you some things here I just read uh, uh, that I realize myself that I do this all the time. And I realize, I begin to realize more and more as I start to study this and I start to understand this and walk this out. I deal with this orphan heart almost every day to some degree. What was enlightening for me is to realize how often I do this. Here's what I, here's the things that I say. What if I fail? What if I fail? I must perform to prove. That's what that's what's really behind it. Again, these are mine personally. Why wasn't my name mentioned when a project was completed or people were being recognized? Nobody noticed me. Nobody noticed me. You know, that's one of the fears that I have as a pastor sometimes standing up here trying to give a group of people recognition for something. Like I, I asked you earlier, or I made the comments about the, the, the room being decorated, doesn't it look nice? Uh, one of the reasons why I keep it general like that, because I used to sit there and have people stand up, and one time I didn't, I realized I forgot somebody. And I know, I know what happens when people are like, I was there too, and he spent 10 minutes talking to me, didn't mention my name. Hey, I've had that happen to me. I know how I felt. I know I, hey, is it okay that I'm being real with you? Okay. Hurt feelings. What do others think about me? What do, what do others think about me? Social media, the ultimate triggers for an orphan. Here's another one. Yeah, I'll share that one later. Here's, here's, here's something I've thought about once in a while. Why did God put people like Robert Morris and, and Gateway Church in my life? These significant people, significant churches. Well, why did people, why did God put people like uh, John Chastain 
and I'm gonna, I'll make reference to him in just a minute, the uh, president of TKU University. Why did, why did God put him in my life? You know what I started to realize, I think the Lord wants to say to me, why, son, why is it always about you? What makes you think I didn't put you in their life? Can anybody relate to that? Mm -hmm. Here's what I know. There's an orphan heart in all of us. And here's how I know it. Because there's an orphan heart at work in this church. And there's an orphan heart at work in me. I'm still learning. I'm still learning. We've got to learn how to respond to this. Because that orphan heart, the process on how to combat it is just as important as the understanding that we have it. And by the way, I refer to the orphan heart and not the orphan spirit, and here's the reason why. If I say orphan spirit, then somebody can sit there and say, oh, well, can you just pray for me, number one? And the second thing is they, can have, they have a, point, a place to point it. Well, it's a spirit. It's a spirit. It's a demonic spirit. Let me tell you something about the orphan heart. The orphan heart can't be cast out. It can only be replaced. You gotta retrain it. With whose scripture? Who does Jesus say that I am? And, and so many times we don't because we've been conditioned even in the church to perform. And this is what I was telling these ladies yesterday when I was talking to them. I said, when I, when I talk to people about the sin in their life, and, and, and there's nothing that surprises me. I, I guarantee not one of you can mention a sin that I'm gonna go, <gasps> and, because, and here's the thing, I don't care about what the sin is. I really don't. Because we spend our whole life trying to stop sinning, whatever that sin is, and we never deal with the root that's behind it. And what I'm trying to tell you is every sin begins with a lie. So when somebody tells you what's going on in their life, what I want to do is I start digging further. I want to know what's the lie they believed where they figured that they had to live out that sin in order to numb the pain. So if I can identify the lie they believed, I can take care of it. I can help them with that. I can help them reject the lie. And guess what they'll stop doing? The sin that's associated with it. Again, this has to do with being and not doing. Because if you don't understand who you are, you're gonna always do the wrong things because you're gonna be doing things out of who you want to be and not who God created you to be. Because you're gonna compare yourself to Jethro down the street. Who does Jesus say that I am? All right. Point number two. You have a father who calls you son or daughter. You have a father who calls you son or daughter. Again, unfortunately, I think the church has played a major role in the production of spiritual orphans. Listen, orphanages produce orphans. Orphanages produce orphans. That's not what we're called to do. And I'm afraid that for many years... The church has been focused on the wrong ship, with a P. We focused on leadership, stewardship, friendship, partnership. We've wrecked all the ships. 
And we've been terrible at teaching people about sonship and daughtership. The one thing they need to make those other things work. Because if you're trying to do stewardship and you're not behaving like a son or a daughter or you're trying to be in partnership with people at the church but you're not a son or a daughter, you're not behaving like it, you're never gonna walk those things out that the Lord's called us to do. Because we've been too busy comparing ourselves to others and looking for that full acceptance. But I wanna declare to you today, and I'll do this, here at City Hope Church, we are not gonna be an orphanage. We are not gonna be an orphanage. We're gonna train up sons and daughters to storm the gates of hell. That's what we're supposed to be doing. Just like when the Israelites crossed the Jordan to go into Gilgal, they were circumcised. It had to do with a setting apart their identity of who they were in Christ. Then they went in and took Jericho. Listen to me. Please remember this. It's always identity first, battle second. Identity first, battle second. These series that we're in right now, who am I? This whole series has to do with our identity and who we are in Christ. You know what the next series of Set Free is about? Battle. Battle. Having chains fall off in our life. Taking it to the enemy for a change. But I can't take you into the Set Free series and have it do everything it needs to do in your life if you don't know who you are. That's the reason why we're going to spend 20 weeks drilling this into you. So your, your first response in your head, if not out your mouth, you probably won't do this because it could sound religious to people, but when somebody asks you who you are, your very first thought isn't, oh, I'm Robert, I'm the pastor of City Hope Church. My first thought is, first of all, I'm the son of the king. I do this for a living. I'm married to this person, but I'm a son or I'm a daughter, irregardless of these other identifiers. That's all they are, they're identifiers. But they're not identity. So this answer, this question, who am I? It, it has to begin, in, in fact, I'm gonna give you a quote here. Again, this is from John Chastain. Um, he's the president of TKU. I was actually down at the Gateway Conference uh, back in, when did we go, September. And I ran into John. I was talking to him for a while about this because he's really into, into this topic of the orphan heart as well. So we were sharing some stuff. He said, you know, he said, give me, he said email me. Give me, he said, I'll send you all of my material. All of his research he's done. Here's a quote out of his research. It says, before any other role you live out in this world, you are first and foremost a son or a daughter of a good, good father who loves you and calls you his beloved child. Listen to me, nothing else matters. Nothing else matters if you get that. He tells a story of, the, his family went on a trip to one of these all-inclusive places down in Mexico. And they flew into town, and of course, they were supposed to have a shuttle that was gonna pick them up. And if you've ever been to airports, if you've ever experienced this yourself, or maybe you saw it, or maybe you see it in a movie, somebody will hold signs with the last name of the person to hold it up as they're coming off the jetway of who they're looking for. So, you, if you, because you don't know these people, they're the representative of the shuttle company, so you're looking, oh, Tanner, that sort of thing. Well, his last name is Chastain, so he gets off here with his family, and they're, they're looking around for their ride. Doesn't see his name. And, and finally, the whole place clears out, and he's like, 
okay? So he, 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 order, he orders another vehicle of some sort. I don't know if it was a bus. I can't remember what he was telling me about and how he got there. But they finally got over to their destination. He's checking into the hotel, and he looks on the paperwork, and he sees John Castile. He's like, Castile? Oh, they think I'm part of the New York City mob or something? He's like, oh, Castile? I'm Cast-. And all of a sudden, it hits him. My ride was there the whole time. They had a sign that said Castile. Here's the point. How many of us in here have a heavenly father that's holding up a sign that said, I'm looking for my son. I'm looking for my daughter. But you're looking for the wrong thing. And you've missed it the whole time because you don't know who you really are. He has a sign that says, I'm looking for my son who's more than a conqueror. And you're going, I'm not a conqueror. Don't call me. Uh-uh. I'm going to hide out. That's not who I am. But he's called you. Matter of fact, Scripture says he's called us by name. Please understand, you can't just have knowledge of this. What I'm sharing, it can't just be about knowledge and you can't just agree with it if you're prone to agree with it. You've got to have a, a revelation from your heavenly father on this. I can't give that to you. He's going to be the only source. You're going to have to ask him for it. But I'm telling you right now, he'll be faithful if you'll ask. But many times we don't ask because we don't recognize there's an issue here. Who am I? You can't answer that question with first asking who is God. You've got to answer that. John 3.16 says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. The only way to break that orphan mentality is for people to be filled with a sense of the Father's love for them. You've got you to understand that. And by the way, if you look closely through Scripture, there's a wonderful pattern that you're going to see over and over again. He says, I love you. I'm with you, don't be afraid, come home. I love you, I'm with you, don't be afraid, come home. All through scripture, this pattern that he wants you to hear over and over again. Let me give you a daily reminder. Here's a daily reminder for you. And you can just say this with me. I'm a son or daughter, go ahead and say it. I am loved. I'm accepted as I am, and I've already got an A on my report card. Okay, there you go. Paul expresses this way in Galatians chapter 4. Again, this is a passion translation, so let me illustrate this. As long as an heir is a minor, he's not really much different than a servant, although he's master over all of them. For until the time appointed by the father, the father, the child is under the domestic supervision of the guardian of the estate. So it is with us. When we were juveniles, by the way, look, don't, don't, don't think about this like chronicle age. This is talking about spiritual maturity, okay? When we were juveniles, we were uns- enslaved under the hostile spirits of the world. But when the time of fulfillment had come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, 
Yet all of this was so that he would redeem and set free those held hostage to the law. Say that. So that. Go say it. So that. We would receive our freedom and a full legal adoption as children. Again, this is about keeping the rules. They were enslaved to it. The, the law, the Torah, the Old Testament, you didn't have any power or authority to live out from under it. So it really, what it did, all it did, it revealed God and his character, but enslaved them to keeping rules. And this is what I want us to learn to stop doing here. Stop keeping the rules. Just live out of who you are. And so that we would know, so say that, so we would know that we are his true children. God released the spirit of sonship in our hearts, moving us to cry out intimately, my father, my true father. Again, that can be, it means Abba or Papa or Daddy. Now we're no longer living like slaves under the law, but we enjoy being God's very own sons and daughters. And because we're his, we can access everything our father has. Remember the prodigal son? You want a, you want a, a goat? Right there. Right there, go get it. For we are heirs because of what God has done. If you don't have the right understanding of your identity, everything else in life is gonna be out of balance for you. It's just gonna be completely out of balance. Leif Hetland is an author and he has, a, in one of his books, he actually talks about this. He said, an orphan mindset says this, I must do something so that I can have something so that I can be something. I must do something so I can have something so I can be something. You know what the attitude of a son and daughter or just the opposite is? I have everything. Therefore, I am someone and now I can do anything. It's just the opposite. Think Adam and Eve. That was the lie they believed. You gotta have that because if you'll have that, then you'll know what God knows. And guess what? As soon as you know what he knows, you get to be just like him. That was the exact lie they believed. And it's the same one the enemy comes after you and I with. That son and daughter mindset. Again, we're called human beings, not human doings. Sons and daughters see promises. Orphans see problems. Sons and daughters experience pleasure. Orphans experience pressure. Sons and daughters do not compete because they are complete. So I don't have to compare myself to other pastors and other churches because I'm secure in who I am and where the Lord has put me and what he's got us doing here. That's how I know who I am. Again, orphans produce orphans, sons and daughters produce sons and daughters. Every thought, every motive, every action that we have, we have to ask ourselves, am I having a thought or a motive or an action that's that of a son or a daughter, or am I thinking like an orphan? And again, I, 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 I've come to the point where I can see this so easily in people's lives. And I see it in mine all the time. Just because of, of needing to retrain my mind. So I'm going to go and wrap up here. I want you to buckle in. I want you to buckle in and get ready because this is only the first week of, of what we're going to be unpacking over the next nine weeks. 
but it'll transform your life if you let it. You'll start to walk in a lot more power and authority. Because as a son or a daughter, you realize everything the Father has is yours. You haven't just got to make it through this life by the skin of your teeth. Because you can actually have it more abundantly, as Jesus said. But if you want to win that battle again, you're going to have to figure out your identity first. It's identity first, battle second. So John 14, 18, the NIV says this, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And that word leave in the Greek, it's actually pronounced afehami. Afehami, and it means to depart or abandon. And he's saying, I'm not going to depart. I'm not going to abandon you. He's always present. The question is, are you always present with him? Because he doesn't leave you or abandon you. One last verse. And about three o'clock, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Ele, Ele, Lama Sepatani, which means, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? And I want you to think about that. Because just for a brief moment in history, Jesus became an orphan so that you and I wouldn't have to. He even took that on. He knew you and I were going to struggle with this. He said, Father, I don't want him struggling with this. So I'm going to be the orphan. I'm going to be the orphan. But there's an orphan heart in all of us. Would you stand up with me? I want to do the same thing we do every single week. In just a second, I'm going to ask you just to give privacy around the room. Just close your eyes, bow your head, whatever. Just no looking around. I want to give other people privacy. But I'm, I'm just wondering for how many of you the Lord is holding up a sign right in front of you and has been for a long time. It says, I'm looking for my son. I'm looking for my daughter. But you don't know it because you're looking for the wrong identity. So right now, just ask yourself, ask the Lord, just say, and you say, just like this, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me today? Am I looking for someone or something that's not real? If you're here today and you've never accepted the atoning work of what Jesus Christ did for you on the cross, so that you would never have to earn your way into heaven. That was the whole point. You can't. So he did it. And the only thing he says to you is, will you just say yes and receive the free gift that I'm giving you? Because I earned it. You can't. If you've never done that, or you have done it in the past, but you feel like, you know what, I've walked away and I've been living like an orphan and I don't know him or myself anymore. I'm gonna give you an opportunity. We're not gonna call you up here and embarrass you. But if that's you and you feeling you would like to make Jesus your savior, 
if you would just slip your hand up just enough so I can see it. I'm looking around, I'll be looking to my right, that's your left. In the first section over here, anybody over here? In the middle section, okay, there's one, that's great. Any others? All right, in the middle section. Over here on the le- my left, your right, anybody over here? Feeling you wanna respond. I'm going to call the altar teams forward. If you need prayer for anything, anything at all, finances, jobs, relationships, brokenness, you want somebody to pray with you regarding the orphaned heart that you realize maybe you developed, let one of these people pray with you. Just come up as the service ends. Again, we're not going to embarrass you. We're not calling you, but just come up on your own. For those that raise your hand, I'm gonna ask you to do the same thing. Just come up to one of these people and let them know that you raised your hand. They're gonna know what that's about. Let them pray with you, we have something for you. Now I'm gonna pray for you really quick. Heavenly Father, I thank you for each one of these people. Lord, I pray that you will open up into their hearts and their minds right now who they are in Christ. Lord, their identity has not been established because of their job because of their last name, because of the money they have or the money they don't have, the car they drive, the house they live in, or because of anything else that anybody else has said to them, whether it's positive or negative, their identity is only established in you. And the only way they're ever gonna know that is to understand who you are because you put everything in right perspective. So Father, I pray for blessing for everybody here right now. In the name of Jesus, and everybody said, amen. Thank you so much for joining us. We would like to ask you a simple question. What has God spoken to you today? And how would he have you respond? We would sure love to hear from you. You can reach out to us with your prayer requests, your comments, or your questions at reimaginepeople.com and by clicking the connect tab. We would also like to invite you to join us again next week for another encouraging and inspirational message from Reimagine Church.